This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. Now, the average person in Portland where I was living at the time makes about 40000 a year. If I can do that in 10 to 20 hours a week, imagine what would happen if I gave it you know, 40 to 50 hours a week. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids & Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about creating a business that you can call your own. A business that allows you to pursue your passions, utilize your creative talents, and work wherever you want. A lot of people crave this location-independent lifestyle, but few know how to achieve it while still making an income to support their family, especially in a high-cost-of-living city. Well... Well, my friends, I have found someone who's doing it all, and he's going to inspire us today. His name's Eric Rosenberg, and he joins us, and he is a father of two. He's an entrepreneur and a full-time writer. His writing has been featured in major media outlets like Forbes, Kiplinger, and Business Insider. Eric's business has done so well this year that he's consistently exceeded $10,000 in income each month. Since his site and podcast are called Personal Profitability, I would say this guy is walking the talk. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thanks for having me. That was quite an intro. I, I feel like I'm excited to hear myself talk after Excellent. that. Excellent. Well, that's what it's all about, <laughs> man. We got to get excited for ourselves too. So did, did you always like writing, Eric? No, actually, if you had told me in high school I was going to be a writer for my primary income at any point in my life, I would have laughed in your face. <laughs> I, I would have I would have thought you were totally joking. I am um, growing up English and your language arts, whatever we called it at that point of our education was not my favorite thing. It wasn't my my top. I was really more of the math science guy which is why I ended up with two finance degrees. So uh, I had two amazing English teachers in high school, my junior and senior year. I was lucky enough to have two great teachers in a row. Um, That really helped me uh, appreciate writing more. And they got less, they were less about the rules and more about the creativity side of it. And, you know, it wasn't accordion paragraphs like you're doing in elementary school and middle school where it has to be exactly a certain way or the, otherwise you get a D. And they were like, no, you can write and be creative and think. And that's when I started to appreciate writing more. Um, and I did well on the writing SAT2. I don't know if they still do SAT2 tests, but <laughs> I got a perfect score on that. So apparently I was OK at writing, but I never wanted to do it. And. Um, clearly, I wanted to do money. That's why I got those finance degrees, worked in a bank. I was a, a senior accountant and financial analyst for about 10 years in corporate America. And I'd started this little blog as a, as a hobby on the side just to help people with money. I'd been reading some personal finance blogs, so I thought I'd start my own. And that is what you know, led to the chain of events that brought me to where I am today. So it just started as a little side hustle hobby uh, back in – and my blog turns 10 in October this year. Oh, well, so happy, I've been doing it a while. Happy decade anniversary. That's very, that's very cool. So you, you started it, you said you started as sort of like a hobby while you were working. What, what, uh, what interested you, uh, at that time to say, Hey, I'm, I want to give this a shot. 
So starting blogging actually was a couple years before that. I was working at I was I worked at a summer camp for seven years at a Boy Scout camp as a counselor, different levels of leadership positions. And my last summer there, I ran the camp's office. So I was like the uh, the chief administrator, as you might say, um, for a lot of the you know, just day to day stuff, making sure the troops paid their bills, uh, you know, coordinating when there was an emergency. When you have a thousand 12 year old boys running around, you're going to have an ambulance or two. Uh, but you know, overall, you know, during certain days of the week, I was really busy. Other times I had a lot of downtime. And it just so happened that we had this brand new invention in 2006 called satellite internet. It was really high speed. Like we got like three megs a second or something. But uh, that was our first time having internet at camp. And we had it for the scoutmasters who had a lounge. They could you know, log in and, and VPN in and check their email and stuff. But for me, the college kid who had you know hours until my next thing came up while I was just waiting for the phone or the radio... I started reading some blogs and I started one about Israel and the Middle East, which is something I'm very passionate about. And that's where I learned a lot about blogging. I, I started that one on Blogger. It was, um, I think the original name was Eric's Economic and Political Insight.blogspot.com because I was really good at marketing, clearly. <laughs> uh, but I, but you, you have to have those stumbles and mistakes to learn. And eventually, I, uh, you know, I graduated from college. I, as I mentioned, worked in a bank as a manager. And when I was working in the bank, I wasn't blogging about money, but I started reading all these personal finance blogs. And most of them were stories of people who got into a, a ton of debt and then were blogging about their journey out of debt. Or they were written by these girls who I had blogger crushes on, I'll, I'll admit. I, I was into these blogger girls. <laughs> but I eventually started thinking, you know, if they can do it, and if people are listening to the advice of people who have made these horrible financial mistakes, they should be listening to me. I've never been in debt. I graduated from college debt-free. I, I, I was approving mortgages. I was the guy who said yes or no on a credit card. I was the guy who waived the overdraft fees when people overdrafted and came in asking to get those fixed. So when I left working the bank, it was actually the next week I started what became personal profitability. That's cool. So when when did you get to that point when you were you were working at the bank and then you said, "Hey, I'm going to make that I'm going to make the jump to do this full time." Did you you get to a point of of developing your income with the writing and the blog where you said, okay, I feel comfortable enough to make this happen now. How did that all work? Yeah, so the point to get my blog to full-time income it, from that point, when I left the job at the bank, I actually went in, uh, that's when I started my MBA and went into corporate finance and accounting. So instead of having a job where, you know, I was unlocking and locking the doors at customer hours, <laughs> I, I was in a more you know, traditional corporate office environment, which worked better for me. I think for that point in my career, I was there, as I said, about 10 years in, in those types of positions. Um, but along the way, that blog kept growing and growing and growing little bit by little bit. I remember when I um, got my first $10 ad sale on the blog, which I wouldn't do things like that anymore. But I was so excited. I was like, I can go out and have a beer with what I made on the internet today. How amazing is that? And then, you know, fast forward six months, a year, I made enough online that I could pay for all of my beers for a month. And when I was in my mid twenties, that was saying something. Um, and then I, I joined this group called the Akazi as a uh, financial blogging network of personal finance bloggers. There were about a hundred members. It's not as active as it used to be, but it's still out there. And I learned so much about monetizing a site from there. 
And I remember reading in the uh, KZ forum one day that this guy called uh, PT Money from Texas is putting together the first ever financial bloggers conference in Chicago. It's actually in a Chicago suburb called Schaumburg, um, which if you're ever in Chicago, you can skip that unless you want, unless you're really into malls. There's a good mall. In There's a good top golf there. If you've ever do top. Oh, yeah, golf. Yeah. I've been to that top yeah, golf. Yeah. It's a good one, <laughs> um, but you know, it's a suburb. But what was really important was that that first event, which is now called FinCon. That's, that's how we connected. That's been one of the most important parts of my current career. Uh, I learned how to treat that hobby blog as a business. And I started making a lot more there. And I'd made a deal with myself when I started reading about it in the AKZ forum. I said, if I make enough online to pay for the trip to Chicago, then I'll go. And I'm so glad I did that. That was the, the, one of the best business investments I've ever made. And if you're ever interested in starting a blog, you could, like, well, everyone wants to do it for free in the beginning or a lot of people. It's pay the 50 or $60 for a year to get your own domain and your own hosting. Get your own .com. That is worth it. Like that, if you can't get to that point, it's not worth spending your time. Like I, I know these bloggers who've been writing on .blogspot.com domains for over a decade. Like you can't even come up with $10 a year to get your own <laughs> .com and you put all these hours in. So, you know, so that you have to think about how to invest in your business. So that investment in my business and going into FinCon um, totally changed everything. And I started getting very involved in the community there. And a few years later, I was running Ignite, which is a speaking event I, I run every year at FinCon. And a company came up to me after and said, oh, you know, we love what you're writing on your site. Would you write for ours? We'll pay you. I was like, heck yeah, pay me. All right, whatever you want. That sounds amazing. And and it really just grew from there and building those relationships and finding new clients. And I was able to leave my job um, just over two years ago now. It was April 2016. And in 2015, I had made 40000 in revenue on the side, which if you're interested, I do um, income reports at personalprofitability.com. Feel free to check those out. You can see the whole journey since 2012. But after that, I thought... Now, the average person in Portland where I was living at the time makes about 40000 a year. If I can do that in 10 to 20 hours a week, imagine what would happen if I gave it you know, 40 to 50 hours a week, which I was working 40 to 50 hours a week already as a senior financial analyst at a, at a big company. So it wasn't like I was being poorly paid. I had great benefits, a, a good team. I really enjoyed the people I worked with. Uh, but you, I hit that point, actually, what, what really put me over the edge was a family thing. I realized I was juggling a lot of balls at one time doing this side hustle, being a new dad. I had a six month old daughter at that point. Um, I had a, my wife was a stay at home mom wife. We were fortunate to be in a position she could do that. So the income was all on my shoulders, but I, I started to realize I could be a great employee, a great dad, or a great you know, online entrepreneur. I could really handle two of those things really well. I couldn't handle all three. So something was going to drop and that was not going to be my kid. I was not going to you know, <laughs> sacrifice my, my relationship with my family for money or for business. So it was either, do I quit this career that I've invested? I got two finance degrees as I mentioned along the way. I worked really hard to get to that gray cubicle I was sitting in with my big <laughs> paycheck. Um, or, do I go to this online thing, which I'd been working really hard at as well, was not making nearly as much money, but offered this dream lifestyle that 
it, it, that's the, had been pulling at me so long. And I'd always joked with friends, oh, could I ever do this full time? But I'd finally got to that point where it was in view at the end of 2015. So there was one morning, I remember it was a counting close. So it was, it was the first week of March, I think, in uh, 2016. And I picture you of Portland. It was cloudy and dreary and you know, that little misty rain. And one morning I had to wake up when it was still dark and go to work before my daughter was awake because I had a meeting on East Coast time. Got home after she was asleep for the day. I never saw my daughter the entire day, which is a really common thing for for full-time working parents. But that wasn't something that I wanted to be part of my life. So uh, it was about a week later I gave my notice. And like any good, responsible dad with a six-month-old daughter and a stay-at-home mom wife, (laughs) I quit my job, sold my house, and moved to one of the most expensive parts of the country all at once. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty heavy, man. So, I mean, but you had had built up (laughs) enough money, uh, uh, or at least, uh, recurring income. And in that point where you sell, where you said, Hey, I feel confident enough where I could keep this going. If I'm doing this at 10 to 20 hours a week, just think where I can go. And obviously it's it, the proofs in the pudding right now. We, we talked at the top of the show, you're making at least $10,000 a month doing what you're doing. Walk us through h- how you make that money today, just so people get an understanding. And you're obviously very open about this, which we appreciate on your, not oh, yeah. only today, but on your reports too. So thank you. <laughs> Yeah. So it's, um, it's um, primarily freelance writing. That's my biggest thing. Um, it's, it's funny. I, I quit my job to not have a job, but I kind of have a job. Like I do the air quotes cause freelancing is kind of the job now. Um, but it's a very different kind of job than having you know a boss and having to go sit and do your cubicle button chair time. Uh, so now I have like a dozen bosses instead, <laughs> but what's really cool about it is, you know, each, each company I work with is a relationship, right? So some of those relationships start online with an email. Some are, um, someone I know introduces me. Many of them come from in-person face-to-face meetings at FinCon and similar conferences. I was just at a conference called Emerge from the center CFSI. I was, uh, it's, it's a mouthful acronym. It's a, uh, financial, um, it's a nonprofit that tries to help underserved financial communities and low income communities. And I went there just to learn. I thought it'd be cool. And I ended up picking up two clients there. So it was a great conference and it ended up being very profitable to me. So you never know. I mean, I never know at this point where I might find a new client, but I know where I'm in a situation where I might find a new client. So, you know, when you hear the term networking, it's really hard to, like put an action behind like here is how networking works. Like you can't, you could say I'm going to go jump on the treadmill for an hour and know what you're going to do. You can't say I'm going to go network for an hour necessarily <laughs> and know what you're going to do. I mean, it's, it's a long-term relationship focused activity, but at this point networking really is where most of my clients come from. In the beginning, it was, you know, a smaller online network that were you know, my, I'll share my introductory rates when I started. I was making, you know, twenty-five to fifty dollars an article on average, which now I make quite a lot more than that. You know, I couldn't make ten thousand a month at twenty-five an article. I couldn't write that many articles, um, but th- there is still a volume component to it. Like I know some writers that uh, maybe they'd be happy making. Most people would be happy making six thousand dollars a month. Yeah, that's a good good income, uh, no matter how you look at it. Uh, unless you live in San Francisco, then you're poor. But anywhere else in the country, on six thousand a month, you're probably doing all right. Uh, and there are some writers who would be happy to work just hard enough to get that. I happen to live in Southern California, and I 
have big dreams for the for the way I want to live. And I'm not a huge fan of the super, super frugal lifestyle. I, I'm a fan of a thrifty lifestyle. You know, that's one of the, the Boy Scout points of the Boy Scout uh, motto or Boy or oath motto. Yeah, it's the motto <laughs> that I learned growing up. Um, but yeah, I'm not one of those people who's going to go and make my own shampoo to save a nickel or something like that. I'd rather spend $5 and get the shampoo I want. Um, so to do that, I realize I have to earn as much as possible. That's my goal is, is not to balance my budget by cutting. It's balance my budget by earning more. And I, yeah, I, I cut, I do try to be thoughtful with my budget, but the primary focus is the income side. So, cause you can only cut your spending so much. Like you'll get to a point where you'll catch up to like Mr. Money Mustache and you just can't cut anymore out of your budget. Like you have to eat, um, but you can earn forever. Absolutely. You know, you can always make more. There's no limit to how much you can make more. So that, that's what I try to do. It's finding, I, I call it laddering up where I will look for a new client. I'm always looking for new clients. There's never a time where I say I'm full. I can't take new clients. There are times I might privately say I'm full, but I would never say I can't take new clients because maybe a new client will come along that'll pay me $100 more per article and I can drop my lowest paying client. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, um, you know, there's, writing is often seasonal, um, specifically online. Anything online, there's kind of a dip in the summer. I call it the summer lull. So a couple months ago, I, I had a light couple months and, and I, I just barely made my 10,000. I, I was hustling. It was like the last day I wrote an article that got me over. I was like, yes, I made it. <laughs> But uh, then there's some months that, you know, if you look back at the beginning of the year, I've had a couple $14,000 months. So um, there's a lot less predictability, a lot less, um, you know, my, my income isn't a flat line. It goes up and down. It's wavy. Uh, that's something that's really difficult for a lot of people who are new freelancers to get used to and reasons for a lot of freelancers to quit. So if you're thinking about this lifestyle, like, you have to remember you don't get paid for butt-in chair time. Like you're in, in a cubicle job. I mean, even though we're all supposed to be, um, you know, most companies say they're a meritocracy. In reality, it's a who's good friends with the manager and who sits in the chair longer accuracy <laughs> without screwing something up. I mean, those are really the two things that will get you promoted at a big company, um, which, you know, there, there's lots of books on the biases and why and how to combat it and all that. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, being visible is so important. In that type of job that as long as you're when I mean, you could be like Peter Gibbons from office space, <laughs> be like, I'm just doing the minimum to not get fired. And you can do really well and make, you know, 70, 80,000 dollars a year doing that and coast along for your career. But I mean, that wasn't that's not fulfilling. That's not exciting. Like I I was helping people. I was doing something meaningful in, in all my jobs. I felt like, you know, at some jobs I was helping make the Internet work at some jobs I was helping make people's debit cards work. Like I was doing things that were cool and, and I was always excited about, but at the end of the day, I was working to make someone else rich. And the things that I was judged on weren't the things that I thought I should be judged on. You know, I, I, one job early in my career, I came up with a hundred million dollars in free cash flow for the company, which, you know, that's not all profit, but like, that's a mind boggling amount of money, a hundred million dollars. And you know, I got a $4,000 stock option that year. But I ended up not even cashing in because I moved to another company. So well, you, know, you, you have to think about you know, how, how your work is and, and how you like to work. And if you're willing to be 
to take that risk because it is scary um, not knowing that next month I will get paid my whatever salary just because I'm doing my job. Um, but you know, the, the upside benefits, if you can make it work are so amazing. Absolutely. Well, you, you talked about the, the difference between being a full-time employee where you're, you're in the chair, uh, you know, you have a little bit more autonomy in what your day looks like right now. So walk us through a typical day of what you, what you live as a, as a full-time writer that, um, you know, is employed by himself. Yeah. So the most typical day, it's actually, it's, it's a lot more boring than it sounds. Like you think it's, you like, look at like Pat Flynn's blog, like smart passive income. And you're like, Oh, look at that. Like he's driving around in Tesla's and interviewing millionaires all day. I mean, that's not what we really do all day. When you work online, like I wake up in between six and seven with no alarm. That's a really nice thing. I, I get up without an alarm yesterday. I had an alarm cause I had a speaking event, uh, two hours away. I had to leave early, but typically or a day at home where I'm writing, I get up between six and seven, Whenever my two-year-old comes into my room, really, is, is when I wake up. There was one morning a couple months ago. She came up, and uh, if you're watching this on the video, I'll try to describe it for the audio. I was lying in bed, and she took her fingers and put them on my eye and opened it <laughs> physically with her fingers at, like, 545 <laughs> in the morning and said, wake up, Dada. So I woke up. Um, New so alarm clock. <laughs> yes, yeah, so he needs a two-year-old, and you will be up. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so typically, you know, I'll get up with her. We'll have, I'll, I'll feed her a little breakfast, wait for my wife and the baby to get moving. Once they come out into the living room, I will make my way into the office. I, I have a home office. I could not do what I do as well without a separate space from the rest of the family. So whether it's co-working home office, I just need a place that can be a workplace. So for me, it's home office. I spent over a year working at a kitchen table. So that's how I know that doesn't work all that well. And it's bad for your body sitting at kitchen chairs for you know 10 hours a day. Uh, not ergonomic. <laughs> but yeah, so, so I'll get into the office. I'll, I'll type a lot. Uh, typically around uh, 10 articles a week is my average. So I did the math. That's about a book a year at 50 <laughs> to 60,000 words, uh, depending on what I write. But days, I usually write through um, – I, I take a lunch break sometimes – I'm um, like people like in my cubicle days, often I get so excited. I just keep working. And then I'm lucky to have a wife who's at home sometimes because she might bring me lunch. But or sometimes I'll go get lunch. Well, it's cool. I could go get lunch anytime. You know, like I, I could go meet a friend for lunch. I do that sometimes. Usually I don't, though, which saves me money. I, I eat out of my own kitchen. Like when I was in cubicle days, I'd go to Chipotle or Subway or Drew Bikes or whatever fast food place and spend you know, eight, nine dollars a day on lunch. I don't do that anymore. So that's money I get to save. I don't commute anymore. That's money I save. My car, I actually had to jump my car a month ago because I hadn't driven it in two weeks and the battery died. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I don't drive a ton. I live in a small town. So if I do have to drive, it's not a big deal. But yeah, so I, I work until 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock whenever I feel like I'm, I'm ready to wrap up the day. Uh, some days I might finish early. Um, that's, that was one thing I always wished I could do in the cubicle days. Because I was salaried, right? I wasn't hourly. So if I had finished everything big on my to-do list and I knew the next day was going to start the new month and was going to be closed and I'd be having 10, 12-hour days for the next two or three days, I couldn't take you know three hours, four hours early and, and cut out early for the day. No, I still had to be there. But now if I finish a big project and I feel like I've earned taking my daughter for ice cream at three in the afternoon, I can do that. Uh, so that's a really cool thing that I can do. Yeah, but typically I, I work you know, 7, 7.30-ish to 5-ish. So I, I work still a pretty long day. But 
you, you don't get paid when you're not working as a freelancer. So uh, I'm working on shifting to things that scale better. But I know at least now that my butt in chair time is going to give me dollars, not just you know street cred with my boss. But cool. I know exactly how much I can earn if I'm working on a project. So I actually keep a uh, I have this notebook for the for the video folks. Um, you can see it for everyone else. It's just a little blue notebook. It actually says Chase on it. I had it free at FinCon. <laughs> um, and every morning I write down my to-do list for the day. I started that about six months ago and it has been really helpful. And then I'll go through and write number one, two, and three of all the things on my to-do list. And those are my top three things I have to do today that I will get done by the end of the day, no matter what. And having that in my schedule has also been very helpful for me. We'll be back to the show in just a moment after a word from our sponsors. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing coast fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Hey, everybody. Thanks for considering our sponsors today. Let's jump back into the show. You started to hint on some things that are different from being a full-time employee when you are the business owner. You got to keep yourself responsible. You're managing everything. You know, there's there's a lot of allure with, hey, you know, you work from home and you got your own thing. That's great, but. 
there's a lot of responsibility. What, what are some of those not so fun differences between being a full-time employee and a full-time business owner? Um, one of the biggest things is, well, you, you don't get paid just for showing up. Um, you have to have to make money to get paid, um, which as a, when you're an employee, I mean, that, that kind of does trickle down to you in some way. You have to be providing value to keep your job. But like number one thing easy to see is, uh, is you don't get paid if you don't work. Uh, another big one that is really important to consider is it, it can be lonely. You know, I sit in this office by myself for, um, you know, 10 hours a day, maybe with, you know, I have a two year old that runs in and out. I have dogs, um, I kicked them out now, so they're not barking in the background, but you know, they're, they're my uh, office mates, but essentially I am alone all day. And you know, I do, I just had a video meeting before this with partners on a new project that we're talking right now. So it's not like I'm always just sitting with no social interaction, but there are some days that I haven't, I realize I haven't left the house in three days and I just make up an excuse to go to Walmart or the grocery store or the post office just to get out of the house. Uh, so it started, I started going to the gym uh, twice a week. I, I started doing yoga. That's been helpful for me, both you know, just from sitting all day. It's good for my body and it's good for my brain to get out and be social. But I'd say that's probably the biggest challenge for me personally. I'm a very social person. I enjoyed you know, water cooler and coffee pot chat, stuff like that at, uh, at the office. Uh, but now I don't have that. So now it's, it's my wife and my kids and people who I chat with online. So that it's a different social, uh, structure, but, uh, I, I, it's just something to get used to. And some people, it's definitely not for you. And, and there are alternatives. I could go to coworking, but I, I work better at home. I felt if, when I did coworking, I wasn't often actually going, I paid for the membership, but I was so excited I could work in my pajamas from home that I just did. And so that's why I canceled my co-working. Lots of fun. Yes. So, Eric, um, you started to mention the importance of networking in order to get clients. But, you know, there's also a big piece of owning a business like this where you have to retain the clients, too. So how do you keep a good relationship and then keep that business coming with your clients? always do an amazing job. I know that sounds, it sounds simple, but, but it really is. I, if I'm always the best and always do a great job and always deliver an excellent result, they will be happy. And if I give them something that's not well researched or not well written or full of typos and errors, um, then why would they hire me again? This is one thing that's different about being a freelancer than a full-time employee. As a full-time employee, getting rid of you and replacing you is expensive and a huge hassle. As a freelancer, it's a lot less expensive and a lot less of a hassle. Like they could just say, Oh, I'm not going to assign you a new article. And essentially you're fired without even having to have a conversation about being fired. It's like you could get ghosted fired in freelancing, which you can't get ghosted at work. Like you can't show up and just like, well, I guess that there's another office space reference. I guess you could be like the guy in the basement who they just like, <laughs> just keep paying even though he was supposed to have been fired. Uh, but uh, I don't normally talk about office space twice in an interview. I, I feel like this is a, I feel like this is like a good, You're a good, good uh, milestone. We should keep them going. Go for the trifecta. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, yeah, you, you won't have someone like the Bobs and Office Space coming to <laughs> There you go. You did it. 
<laughs> There's three. Yeah. So you, you, um, yeah. If you get bad feedback once, they'll, they'll probably give you another chance, but they're not going to give you bad feedback again. You're just not going to hear from them again. So right. it's always delivering great quality it is so important in any kind of freelancing. It doesn't matter if it's writing graphics, uh, web or web design, video editing, it's all about the quality with freelancing because there are so many competitors mm-hmm. who have to stand out and prove to your clients why you're the best. Not only why should they hire you, but every time you you send something in, you're reminding them this is why they hire you. This is why they give you assignments. Yeah. And you know, for me, personal finance was a great fit because of that background in the bank and and the finance degrees and all the education. I've had some really interesting finance experiences. So for me, writing about finance was a perfect fit, uh, merging the writing skill with with the finance passion. If you're thinking about starting freelancing as as some kind of a side hustle, you don't have to look at someone like me or or any of the other freelancers. You can look at us as a model, but you don't have to say, oh, I want to do exactly what they're doing, but I don't know whatever one thing. There is something you know better than anyone else. That's just it's just a fact of life. There's something you are the expert in and there's probably something that thing you're the expert in might not be the thing you would write about or freelance about, but there is something that you are an expert in that someone would be willing to pay for that service or a product related to that. So you have to really objectively look at yourself. I mean, the book, the hundred dollar startup by Chris Gillibo, who's someone I look up to. He's a great online creator. He said the three things you really need for a business are a product or a service, someone who would actually buy that product or service. So not just a friend saying like, oh, yeah, I'd want that. But like someone who would actually like hand you their credit card and pay for it and then a way to deliver it. Those are the only three things you need for a business. It's that simple. So it's easy to get it all like wrapped up in your head. Oh, I have to do this, 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 and this, and do this for the clients and this way for the invoicing and this for that and the delivery and the apps and the tools. Oh, it's simple. It's, you just need something you can sell in a way to get it to someone who's willing to pay you for it. So essentially I just have to do that really, really well. And my clients will keep coming back. And it's the same in in most freelance businesses. That's great. And so does your wife stay at home with the kids still right now? Yes. Yeah. We have, um, as I mentioned, the two kids are two and a half year olds. The older one, the younger is eight months old. And my wife has an active real estate license. Mm -hmm. So she, if she chose to, she could go back and be a real estate agent or property manager. We've talked about in the area, but at this point, she is focused just on the kids, which I don't know. I know I work at this desk 10 hours or whatever a day. She works way harder than I do. Yeah, no, I hear that, man. I've, I've got a wife in the same situation. You know, so uh, talk to me as a, as a father with two young children being the sole breadwinner in a, you know, self-employed business. Do you feel the pressure quite often to make this thing super successful or have you, have you now found a formula where you're feeling more comfortable and that was just kind of the feelings you were having when you left the job originally? Uh, I'd say it goes back and forth depending on the day and the month and what my income reports look like. I mean, they haven't looked bad lately, so I haven't felt a lot of stress lately, but I've, I've actually set a, that $10,000 bar as my minimum where even if I make if I make $9,000 in a month by most metrics, that is an amazing, fantastic month. But I feel like a huge failure if I didn't hit the 10000 because that's the number I picked. So I put a lot, some of the pressure on myself. Uh, earlier on when I quit, I 
definitely felt the pressure more. At that point, it was only one kid. But as I mentioned, we moved to California at the same time. So I knew we had a lot of savings. We had just sold a house. We'd put a big, big down payment on that house. And it was in Portland, so we made a lot of money on it in the time we had it. Uh, so we had enough cash in the bank that I could have not earned a dollar for I mean, probably four years, and we would have been fine, which is not a typical situation for someone who quits their job or, yeah. or really for anybody to have four years' worth of cash on hand, um, which ended up being the down payment for the house that I'm sitting in right now. Uh, we rented for the first year we lived here. But there was probably three or four months after I quit the job that I was really feeling the financial strain because even though I had all of that money in savings, I didn't want to touch it. I, I felt like if I had to draw a thousand dollars from savings, that was me failing at building my new business, which I, I think in the end, I at one point took out as a little under $2,000 is living in Southern California is expensive. I just needed the money. I think it was month three. Um, but then the next month I, I was able to pay it back and have not had to take from savings since uh, it's only been adding and investing. So things have been good. But those first few months, I actually remember this one day we um, drove around and decided to do a little house hunting just to get an idea of what types of homes we would be able to buy maybe in a year after I'd had some more a freelancing success, assuming I was having the success I was planning on and driving around town. I remember feeling so depressed this one day, almost angry. Like I could make this much and I have this much in savings, which puts me ahead of most people, but I still felt like I couldn't afford anything here. Hmm. And it did turn out that, you know, working hard and making over 10,000 a month does help when you, when you're looking to buy a house, it does make things more affordable. But there was that point in the beginning where, I was thinking, geez, did we make such a big mistake moving to California at the same time we did this, which we picked it not because it was expensive. <laughs> we picked it because we're about a half hour from my in-laws. So we wanted to be closer to family. My wife grew up in Santa Barbara, so we're not too far from there. Uh, so for her, it was kind of like going back home. But then I'd pull up online and be like, you know, we could move to Omaha. We could get a house for for half the cost that's triple the size and Omaha is a pretty cool city. It's underrated. I didn't pick on it to make fun of it. I like Omaha. Um, I, if I wanted to pick on a city, I'd pick on like a city in rural Kansas or Iowa, probably. So those are like, I've spent time in those places. I feel like I could, I could pick on those well. But, um, but if you want to live in, you know, Texas or a lot of a lot of parts of the country, your money's going to go a lot farther than it does where I chose to live. I knew that going into it. I think about it all the time. Uh, I talk to my wife about it on occasion, but the lifestyle here is so great. Uh, the, the weather, it's 70 and sunny like every single day all year. I mean, that's way better than Portland with my nine months of clouds I had. So uh, having the community we have here, having the family we have here and having this great weather and climate, I have no plans to leave, but that does add more financial stress. Also, uh, just because I have a higher cost of living. Yeah. And, and did you guys end up uh, making a house purchase between when you moved from uh, uh, Portland to California? You guys renting? What, what's the yes. what's the housing yeah. situation? Yeah, so we rented for it was about 14 months. We were in a, an apartment. We were the first people in that specific apartment. So it was nice to have a brand new unit. Uh, we were about a five minute walk from the beach, which was great. But uh, having about a thousand square feet with two little dogs and a two year old, 
that wasn't going to work for long. <laughs> so uh, we did end up buying a house uh, just over a year ago. Uh, we got into our house that we're in now. It's uh, other side of town than we were in. It's a lot more suburban feeling, which I was more like a New York, London vibe. Like I wanted to go urban, which is part of how we ended up in Portland. Uh, but there's definitely a nice thing to having that suburban comfort when you have two kids and, and two dogs to run around the yard and, and all that. So I've now embraced that suburban lifestyle. And um, with the climate here, our backyard feels like it's part of our house, kind of like we just leave the doors open all day. We go in and out a lot. The kids go in and out a lot. Um, I also save a lot of money on avocado toast because we have half an avocado tree. Oh, so nice. My avocado budget is zero. <laughs> is zero. That's great. Anytime I'm at a restaurant and I see like $10 avocado toast, I'm like, oh, got to no. get an avocado. Just go in the backyard. That's awesome. So you, you got the house in suburbia. You got the, the young family with the dogs and the avocado tree. So you could you, you people, you can do this. You can do this for a freelance entrepreneurial lifestyle and still have it all. Way to go, man. That's awesome. All you really need is the avocado tree. Oh, did you tree. see the avocado tree? There you go. <laughs> it was like, it was right around the time we bought this house. A big entrepreneur, a millionaire guy in Australia had said online and in an article that the reason millennials couldn't afford houses is because they're all wasting their money on avocado toast. So I totally like, uh, I mean, being the personal finance blogger, I was putting pictures of that up like my new tree. I'm like, the, you just have to buy the house with the avocados and then then you're all good. There you go. I could I could sense an article already from you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. So, Eric, you know, there's somebody listening right now that is saying, wow, that would be really cool if I could develop my writing skills and eventually create a business for myself. What advice would you give them as they're just starting out? Just start. Um the, the biggest mistake I see again and again and again is people who want to over plan and they want to start perfect. You can never no website is ever perfect. No website is ever done. I mean, you're 20 years ago, you used to go on and see like under construction banners on websites. You don't really see that anymore because we all understand that all websites are pretty much always under construction. <laughs> and the same is true with your writing skills. You know, I, it's just like. If you wanted to be great at guitar, what would you do? You would practice every day. You would learn harder songs. You would learn new skills. You would you know, practice it, try to show it to new people, demonstrate it, and build that skill until you're the best. Same thing with writing. It's same thing with, with most things. If you read um, that Malcolm Gladwell book, which one was it? Outliers. Uh, it was trying to understand why certain people – exceed so much better than others. And he came down to this 10,000 hour expertise rule that says, if you do anything for 10,000 hours, you're essentially an expert at it. And if you're a side hustler, like it doesn't matter if it's writing or otherwise, and you want to become an expert at something, if you divide out 10,000 hours into eight hour chunks, eight hour days, it's going to take years and years and that's if you're doing it as a full-time job. So as a side hustle, you're putting even less time in. So you really have to make that time and come up with, you know, look at your schedule and figure out the hours that you can practice. If you want to be a writer, practice, start a blog. And there, there's no better way to start writing today than starting a blog. You can do it. I mean, you can do it for free, as we talked about, if you want it to end in .blogspot.com or .wordpress.com. But spend the money, get your own .com. It, it's not that hard. And just put yourself on a schedule. You know, maybe it's one a week 
Maybe it's one a month. Maybe it's one every other week. Whatever works for you, set a schedule you can stick to and commit and do it again and again and again. And you should see over time your writing gets better. Your uh, your traffic hopefully improves if it's a blog. Uh, if you're writing on another site like Medium or you know, there's lots of different places you can write. And they're, they're all good. I mean, I wouldn't you know, focus on Twitter or Facebook if you want to be a quality writer because those are you know, more short and punchy things. If you want to be a copywriter, those are great. But if you want to be a, an article writer like I am, it, you have to write articles. And that's that's how I got better at it. If you go to my blog, um, there was a point I was over 1,200 articles on there. I've gone back and deleted um, some short and not as good ones. I've merged some. Like I had 10 mediocre posts on credit. I merged them into one giant post on credit. Um, so, so now I have about 800 and something posts there. But that's 800 posts just on that one site that I've written. Hmm. I mentioned I had another blog before personal profitability. I probably wrote, I don't know, 500, 1,000 posts on there. I was writing once a day for a while there. And now I'm writing on average two or three a day for my clients. So I write a lot. That's how I keep getting better at it and keep my skills up. Um, you could also look at there's some third party tools like Grammarly is a good one that will look at your writing. And essentially, it's like an editor that you don't have to hire. They're a lot cheaper. So it'll look for grammar errors and things you can do to improve. So using some tools like that can help you get a little better, too, because they give you an objective view as you're writing or when you finish writing, like here's some things you can do better to improve. I also have other people read your writing and critique it. Um, I, when I started blogging, I had a, I had a long time girlfriend back then. She read most of my stuff and said what was good, what was bad. Uh, whenever I make a new YouTube video, that's been a bigger focus. Now, every time it goes live, I run out of the office and I turn on the Chromecast, I kick my daughter off from netflix <laughs> and i'll put the uh, i'll pull up youtube on the tv and i'll show my new video and she's like dada you're on tv which i think's fun um even though i just did it on my computer five minutes ago <laughs> but i have my wife look at it, I'm like what should i do to make it better uh, i do the same thing with my mastermind group sometimes so anything i'm working on i'm always trying to get better and the same needs to be true of my writing because that's my core income so if you want to do if you want to be a writer a really that was a really long way of saying practice and don't wait to get started. Don't let analysis paralysis get in the way. Just start. You don't need permission. That's great, man. I love it. Well, where can people follow you and learn more about uh, how to become uh, personally profitable? Absolutely. Yeah. So the best place to go is personalprofitability.com. You can find the blog, podcast, and YouTube channel there. Or I'm on Twitter as Eric Profits. Uh, one giveaway I want to offer to you guys as being listeners to this amazing show is uh, my personal profitability boot camp. It's a week long video series. If you go to personalprofitability.com slash boot camp, you can sign up there. You'll get a free video emailed to you once a day for a week. And uh, yeah, no strings attached. And hopefully that'll get you started on your path to personal profitability. Eric, thanks so much for being here today, man. This was great. Thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. not sure if you could tell by my enthusiasm in that interview, but I really admire what Eric has done with his life. He's living in Southern California, has zero commute, gets paid to write about a topic that he's really passionate about, and he's there for the important times with his wife and kids. 
That is just incredible to me. This location independence thing is an important tool in the entrepreneurial arsenal as well. If for some reason Eric and his family aren't digging Southern California anymore, I don't know why they wouldn't, but uh, anyway, (laughs) they could pack up and move to a new location and Eric will still have the same income because it doesn't matter where he lives. He's a writer that works from home and wherever a home might be, which is very cool to me. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Eric Rosenberg. Number one, network to get work. Eric mentioned that most of his clients come from networking, getting out there, meeting people, and earning more business. Now, when I say get out there, Yes, there is a physical component to networking. You have to walk away from your computer and shake hands and meet people at conferences or for lunches. But there's also a virtual component to this as well. Joining Facebook groups in your niche, creating a detailed LinkedIn profile with your information, and also having a sharp-looking website that draws people in, showing them what your skills are, your examples of your work. And remember, even with a beautiful digital presence, you're still going to have to do a lot of outreach to get more business. Find out who you want to write for or what you want to write about, and then contact those folks sharing your passion for their publication or their website, you will be surprised who will say yes. And voila, you are now a paid writer. (laughs) Number two, exceed expectations. When you get those clients, do the best quality work possible. As Eric said, you're not getting paid for button seat time anymore. You're getting paid by the hour or paid by the word. So make it count. If there's a writing guide for your client, make sure you read it and follow it. That is a way of saying, I heard you and I'm going to do my best. And make sure you do your proper research too. proofread your work. Consider each assignment as a representation of your work ethic. Because again, as Eric said, they can say goodbye very easily since you're a contractor. There's no lengthy termination process when you're a freelance person. They just don't call you back, right? (laughs) So do awesome work and exceed expectations. Number three, just start. Analysis paralysis can really grab a hold of us. Eric says, just start. You'll make mistakes in the beginning. You won't hear back from clients. You'll have a really tough time networking in the beginning, but eventually you'll find your first client and then you'll find your next client and then you'll be able to ladder up those writing rates for the next one, make a little bit more money. And soon enough, you'll be a full-fledged writer, working from home, making your own hours, and grabbing ice cream with your kids when you want to. (laughs) That's Eric's dream, and he made it a reality. Very cool. So those were my top three takeaways. Number one, network to get work. Number two, exceed expectations. And number three, just start. So what's your dream? 
What does your ideal day look like? I think you can have it. It just takes a whole lot of work, a lot of trial and error, and a lot of determination to get there. But when you do, you will be so proud of the life you've created. Now it's time to announce the Money Master of the Week. Dale from New York connected with me about a huge blogging win of hers. She's recently surpassed $2,000 of income in one month from her blog. Since she only started one year ago with this blog, that is a huge accomplishment. Her blog growth has helped her diversify her income outside of her full-time job and become more confident in the process. To break it down for everyone, she earned 50% of that income from selling her own product, which was an ebook, and the rest came from affiliate marketing. We learned about affiliate marketing in our interview with the million-dollar blogger, Michelle Schroeder-Gardner, in session 74. You all can grab that episode at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 74. Affiliate marketing is essentially promoting someone else's products that you know, like, and trust on your blog and getting paid a commission when it sells. I do the same thing on my site. For example, I promote Lending Tree on my mortgage articles as I talk about how we paid off our mortgage in under five years. We actually use them for our mortgage company and got a super low rate which I feel confident promoting them because I really enjoyed the experience working with them. So that link is marriagekidsandmoney.com slash lending tree. So you see what I did there? That is called affiliate marketing. <laughs> I mentioned a product. And if you guys go to that site, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash lending tree and purchase the product or the service, then I get a commission. That's how affiliate marketing works. But uh, I did it on my podcast now instead of the blog. But anyway, you get the idea. That is affiliate marketing. So anyway, back to Dale. She used her email list and her strong promotion through Pinterest to grow her sales for her ebook. And man, it is paying off for her 2K per month just on the side. I love it. Her next goal is to start an online course and have yet another income stream in her life. If you want to connect with Dale and learn more about her blog, check her out at bloggingherway.com. That's bloggingherway.com. Dale, thank you so much for sharing your blog victory with us today, and congratulations for being our Money Master of the Week. Do you have a recent financial victory that you want to share on this show? Shoot me an email at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or leave me a voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. I would love to hear your net worth wins, your debt crushing wins, your small business wins, just a win, your, your parenthood wins, anything. I want to hear how you are winning as a young parent or somebody that's trying to grow their income or crush debt. Anyway, want to hear it, want to celebrate it, shoot me a note there, guys. Andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or the voicemail marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. You will find all the links and resources for today's show at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 106. That's what I do, everybody. So if there's a, a show that we do, say the session right after the website so that you can check out the show notes and learn more. 
If this is your first time listening to this show, thank you, by the way. If you could do me a favor and hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player right now, I would really appreciate it. That way you will have this family empowering podcast queued up each Monday to start your week off right. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Jesse Owens. We all have dreams, but in order to make dreams come into reality, it takes an awful lot of determination, dedication, self-discipline, and effort. Let's turn our dreams into realities, my friends. Carpe diem. 